I'm Veronica Volk, a reporter with WXXI News. And recently, I've been working a lot with this guy. Hi, I'm Gary Craig with the Democrat and Chronicle. We've been reporting together on the story of a teenager murdered more than three decades ago. But as we've learned, there's so much more to this story and so many layers to explore. The story involves a girl, maybe you've heard of her, who was found dead in a cornfield in western New York in the 1970s. At first, it feels like your typically over-sensationalized murder story. But if you scratch beneath the surface, as Gary and I did, you discover this entire network of interconnected people that all played a major role in this girl's story. Gary and I have been trying to fill in a lot of the blanks about the life of this girl and questioning just how she ended up murdered in a rural New York county. With each interview we've done, this story's gotten more compelling and more intriguing. We've talked to people from across the country, from New York to Florida to California, and now we want to bring you their voices and their stories. So that's what we're going to do. We'll tell a different part of this story and introduce different people involved in a new segment every week as part of this podcast series we're calling Finding Tammy Joe." You can follow the story with us by subscribing to the podcast, and we'll also have a bunch of old pictures and articles and videos on our website, democratandchronicle.com slash Tammy Joe Alexander. I just want to say before we start that this is a story about a murder case, and it can get pretty intense, so it might not be suitable for young or sensitive listeners. Now, the story starts in a rural town about a half hour's drive from Rochester called Caledonia in a cornfield on a cold, wet November morning. I have not much to tell you other than what you can see back. It was all corn from here up to where the Yorero Bed Greenway was. We were going over our combine because we were supposed to come down here and start combine in this field that was in the corn at that time. And we decided to go down to the corner and get a cup of coffee, and that's when we noticed, you know, the body. And This is Wes Clements. He still lives on the farm where all of this started. He's older now, but he still remembers this vividly. We didn't know at first. Dad thought maybe, oh, maybe it's some Halloween prank that floated off or balloon or, you know, whatever. And we got out and we walked out and saw what we saw and know just what everybody else knows today. November 10th, 1979. Wes Clements and his dad, Harry, see something in their cornfield. A lot of people don't look at cornfields. Being a farmer, that's what I do. So I was looking in the cornfield on the way by looking for a hunter. They call the police. One of the first responders is John York. I was not far away. I arrived on the scene. I met with Harry and his son as we walked to the area where it uh, ended up being Jane Doe was found. Uh, she was lying face down in a cornfield, uh, someone off the road, uh, about 20 yards, uh, laying in the corn. At first, he thought it was a hit and run, but he got closer and saw the gunshot wounds. She had two, one in the forehead and one in the back. We secured the area and we began an investigation that we thought would be a very normal, uh, what we found out, everything but normal homicide investigation. 
normal as in solvable, but even from that very first day, the odds were stacked against them. First, there was the rain. The prior 11 hours, it had rained profusely. Everything on her was soaking wet. Everything around her was saturated. Second, the location. A lot of people passed through on the highway she was found next to. 5 and 20 is a major, major truck route from Canada to the U.S. Across the road was a pull-off area where there's a large tree. We knew a lot of trucks had pulled off there and stopped. And third, she had no identification. This kid came from out of the area. I almost felt that from the get-go because we couldn't find any identification. I thought to myself, if you're going to strip her from identification, turn her pockets inside out, you know she's not from this area. You know we're going to have a tough time with this. I thought that in my head. But there were a couple things that stood out, caught York's attention. She had a halter top tan. So you knew you didn't wear a halter top in the Northeast in November and get a suntan. So she had to come from the Sun Belt someplace. Most of the girls' clothes were pretty common, things you'd find in a department store. She did have these interesting keychains on her belt loops. One was a heart that said, He who holds the key can open my heart. And the other was a key. But they were probably picked up from a little toy dispenser along the highway. But there was this jacket. She did have one very unique piece of clothing. The jacket she wore was a red jacket with uh, black stripes down the arm. That we're going to talk about in a later episode. So despite finding next to nothing on the scene that day, York was still pretty confident they would solve this, figure out who she was and who killed her. But he didn't understand then just how long the case would stay with him. To this day, when you talk about it, it kind of shocks me. I'm trying to even imagine, and I can't quite grasp it, just seeing sort of laid there in the field. I mean, do you still, all these years later, see that? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> even after Vietnam. Wes Clements, he was also rattled that day. The police brought both him and his dad in for questioning. They asked him about the girl, about the cornfield where they found her, about the condition she was in. They even had the two of them give shoe prints. Eventually, both Wes and his father were cleared. They weren't suspects in the case. But still, it's not the kind of day you ever forget. You know, like I said, it's just something that's never gone out of my mind and never will. It's been just over six years now since my dad passed and he succumbed to cancer. But... You know, with all the technology and everything that was out there, he says, I just can't believe they, you know, they, you see all these TV programs, you just can't believe we haven't found who that girl is yet. And here we are. He'd seen a lot of death in his life, but not just on the farm where he worked. Up to that point, in 79, we'd lost several fa- uh, family members. My mother passed um, in 71, and my grandfather the year before that, and then my mother's mother. And uh, and my dad's mom passed the year before that. Since then in my life, I've seen some things I'd rather not talk about. And, you know, you, you just live. But, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just my nature, I guess. Gary, when did you first hear about this story? Um... It- it happened, you know, well before I got to the Democrat and Chronicle. Uh, 
So I came here in 90, and but as the years went on, you'd start seeing these anniversary stories about Jane Doe, and, you know, it just, it was such a fascinating and tragic story that I followed it reading other reporters' work for years until, the, you know, the latest developments. What did you find particularly fascinating about it? It's, it sounds probably counterintuitive, but it's a... It's both a tragic and ugly story and an uplifting story in some ways. Tragic and ugly in that you have this young teenager shot and left in a field, dead, and nobody knows who she is. And just a a brutal, heinous crime. And, um, but the uplifting part of it, the other side, is how even though nobody knew knew who she was, this, this community embracing of her, the way they sort of took to her and, and both on the law enforcement end, which really was just diligent and you know, vigorous for so long, and the community that took her on as if they were one of their own. A young girl was found murdered in a small rural town. Naturally, people started to talk, and the tips started coming in. John York became the lead investigator on the case, and he tracked them down one by one. He starts with the last person to see the girl alive. That's next time on Finding Tammy Joe. I'm Veronica Volk, WXXI News. And I'm Gary Craig with the Democrat and Chronicle. If you want to follow this story with us, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to our website, democratandchronicle.com slash Tammy Joe Alexander. There, we've put together old photos, archived articles, and a lot more. This podcast is produced by WXXI News and the Democrat and Chronicle. Thanks for listening.